Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Hey, let me open us up with a word of prayer. God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would use it to speak powerfully to our hearts, that we would be changed to know what love is and that it would just impact the way that we live as a church and as your people in the world. So God, do what only you can do. Um, Change us. Change us by the power of the gospel to be more like Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes vague language can can kind of be frustrating. You know, if people are like, there were a bunch of people there, or it was so early, or I'll be there soon, right? Because all that language is, is somewhat vague. And so is a bunch of people 10, 15, 100? Is it thousands? Is I'll be there soon? Does that mean in five minutes, in 15 minutes, within the hour, right? And, and so vague language can be kind of frustrating. And, and so as a pastor and as a preacher, I can be notorious for that. I can use language that you're going, I don't exactly know what that means. Now, for instance, if I say, hey, the greatest commandment for us is to love God and love others, it can be kind of vague. What does it mean to love others? Does that mean that we're attracted to them? Does that mean that we have warm feelings towards them? Does that mean we have to like people who annoy us? What, what does it mean to love others? Well, thankfully, um, today, Paul is going to take that concept of loving others, and he's going to build it out for us. He's going to take a term that can easily be vague, and, and he's going to add some meat to those bones. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. All right, that's basically just the title for this section. So verses 9 through 21, it's all about real, authentic, genuine, sincere love. All right, verses 9 through 21, the title, sincere love, genuine love, not fake. Right, and that word... Um, genuine, right? The the original word that Paul uses in the Greek means non-hypocritical. It means to not be hypocritical. And so a hypocrite back in Paul's day was an actor. That was someone that on stage, they could put on different masks to play different characters. And so the mask they wore was never who they truly were. It was just a, a role or, or a performance that they were doing. And so what Paul's saying here is that Christian love should never be acting, all right? It should never be just a performance. It should never be fake. And and so what we know is that what Paul's about to talk about probably is going to cut deep to the heart of those of us who live in the religious South, right? Because in our culture, it's so easy to to love in a way that's almost like you're just kind of putting on a face or or you're acting like you love someone, but then you turn around and do something opposite of that, Um, a way that this might play out. You could have someone on the phone and it's like, 
that just sounds so hard and horrible what you're dealing with and like it is hard it's just a, it's a lot it's like i'm going to be praying for you and you know that we love you if there's anything you need you don't hesitate to ask right and then they hang up and they call their friend and it's like you will never believe what joy dean's going through you know her kids in counseling and her her husband's job's not going so well and and i know they thought they'd have a lake house by now but that was 10 years ago they were talking about that and you know john from high school he liked her facebook post now i'm not saying she didn't mention anything about this but i'm just wondering if she's maybe wondering you know um but hey let's not gossip about joy but let's let's make sure to pray for her could you be praying for her right and then like you know we see that that's a little extreme but we see that played out where it's like I love you, and then behind your back, I'm immediately talking about you, and Paul's like, hey, we're not talking about a fake kind of love. We're not talking about saying, I'll love you by just giving lip service. I'm talking about something much deeper than that, all right? And so, let's see what he, what he says. And so, as he continues on in verse 9, kind of the foundation here, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, right? And so, that, that idea of abhorring what is evil. It means to be horrified, to be horrified by the things that God says are wrong or bad or are evil. And then the the concept of holding fast, it's basically gluing ourselves inseparably to the things that God calls good. And, And so when you take those two things together, we should have this violent hatred of sin and a tenacious attachment to God's moral order. And so verse nine just kind of lays this foundation and shows us that the love we're talking about here is not subjective. It's it's not just my feelings and then you have your feelings. He's like, no, 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 this is is objective. It's concrete. Our foundation, the foundation of our love is built off of concrete, absolute biblical truth, right? So we we have a foundation. We have something that's true and real, and it's not wavering or changing. It's solidified so that our foundation is built on something, right? Now, in verses 10 through 16, what Paul's going to do is he's going to build out for us uh, four things that help to give us a a framework of Christian love. Now, um, he's going to rapid fire commands, but as we kind of take them together, we'll see there's really four things that stand out to us to give us a framework for what this is. So look look at verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. The the Greek word for brotherly affection is Philadelphia. So when William Penn named the city, he got the name from the Greek word, and that's why we call Philadelphia the city, the city of what? Brotherly affection. Love, right? And so that term, brotherly love, that term, Philadelphia, was generally used for family family relationships. It, w- it was to describe the relationship that you would have for a, a sibling or someone that you were related to. So for us, it's that idea of, you know, blood is thicker than water, right? It, just to say that family relationships should be the strongest and most important relationships you have. I mean, think about the Hatfields and McCoys, right? That blood is thicker than water, that family relationship. I think about my own sister, my oldest sister, Susan. I'm fairly certain she hated me when I was a kid. Now, granted, I was the annoying little brother, but I can tell you this. If she caught some punk kid in our neighborhood picking on me, I truly believe that she would not be above taking him out. 
and not only taking them out, but covering the evidence, right? Why? Because at the end of the day, whether I'm annoying or not, she's my sister, she loves me, and I'm her brother, that blood relationship. And so when Paul talks about this blood thicker than water, this brotherly affection, this Philadelphia-type love that's reserved for describing family relationships, when he applies it to the church, here's, here's what he's getting at. He's saying the care and tight-knitness that are seen in the best earthly families should be on full display in our spiritual families as if we were related. Like when people see the way that we care for each other, the way that we love each other, how tight-knit we are, that they should look and be like, man, it's almost like they're blood. It's like they're related to each other. That's the type of love. It's, it's that type of commitment that should mark our love for one another. So the first thing is, is that love is fully committed. Next we see is that love is putting others first. So not only is it fully committed, but it's putting others first. In verse 10, he continues. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. All right, outdo one another in showing honor. Last week, we talked about how we are created for community. And there are all of these one another passages in scripture. And just kind of to reaffirm why we need each other is because it's really hard to one another yourself. All right. But he says, outdo one another in showing honor. All right. When you think about Olympic athletes, if, if there's an individual competing, they're generally trying to outdo the other athletes to receive the honor, not to give the honor. So what does it look like to, to run, to run hard, not to get the honor, but to make sure that someone else, to make sure that someone else gets it. All right. Well, I, I think about leadership, you know, um, if you are leading people, it, it, that outdoing one another in honor is is bragging on your team, right? It, it's it's admitting that without the people that surround you, you would be a shadow of who people see you to be, right? I think about you know if you're being led. I'm reminded of something my dad told me when I started to work. My dad was in the Air Force for 30 years, and he told me that whenever he would, you know, he climbed the ranks, um, and whenever he would would meet a new superior, whenever he would be under superior, he would make it a point to tell them, hey, my job, my job under you is to make sure that you look good, right? Like, what's he doing? He's 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 showing them honor. He's making sure that their, that their value is seen to others, right? So that idea of honor, it means to recognize value. Right? It means to recognize someone's value. So what we know is that all humans all right, are created in the image of God. And as his image bears, we all intrinsically are valuable people. Right? And so here, here's what you can do. Um, you can actively bring to the surface those valuable things that we inherently have so that people can see it in themselves and so that others around them can see it too. Uh, put, put yourself in someone's shoes that walks into a room and, and starts to ask these questions, or maybe someone who's been present in a group of people for a while, and they're asking the question, you know, do, I, do I matter? Is my presence, does it, does it mean anything? Am I adding any value to what's happening here? Am I just a warm bottom in a seat, you know, it, for people who are, put yourself in their shoes, people who are wondering like, do I belong here? Am I being like, why, why am I here? What's my value, right? And then think about what are some ways 
that you can answer the questions they're asking so that they know the definitive answer is yes, you are valuable, you, you do bring a purpose and, and meaning to what's happening here. So how can you speak in someone's life so that they feel and know the value they have, okay? All right, and so after this, we get to the third thing. So we have love is fully committed, love is, or, or love is fully committed, love is putting others first, and then third, Love is patient. Love is patient. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says this. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Right? Love is patient. Right? If you're deeply involved in the Christian community God has created you to be a part of, it's eventually going to get hard. It's eventually going to get messy. Right? And, and what Paul says here is in those hard times, we need to be patient. Right? Because we will find ourselves personally asking, is this worth it? Could, I, could my time be better spent doing other things? We could find ourselves wondering, could I, am I better off on my own? Can I just listen to a great sermon online? Can I just pull up my favorite worship band and listen to their stuff? And then can I find community at, you know, the gym or the local pub or, or somewhere else? Like, am I better off just kind of creating my own thing than trying to do what they're doing, right? And to this, Paul says, no, we need to use all of our spiritual resources, right? We need to use all of our spiritual resources to stay the course and to not give up on each other. Stay the course. Don't give up when it gets hard. Don't give up when it gets messy. Don't give up when you're tempted to walk away. And so what are those spiritual resources? Well, first he says rejoice in hope, right? Now, what's the hope we have personally? As Christians, our hope is that God will never give up on us. Our hope is that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Now, if that's a hope that we have, that's a hope that they have, right? And so our hope, we have the same hope for them that they have for themselves. Like we look at them and say, hey, that's someone that God's not gonna give up on. And so if God's not gonna give up on them, like I don't need to give up on them either. So we rejoice and hope. The next thing he says is, is to be patient, to be patient when things get hard. I think about this, we, constantly push back against God's ways. Like God has a design for our lives that we naturally kind of push back against. And when you think about how often we push back against him, that shows us that we're probably not the easiest people to love. Let's just, let's just admit that. Like if you think you're easy to love, you're probably wrong, right? Like you're not the easiest person to love yet. What is, what does Psalm 145.8 say? It says that God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So think about a parent. When a parent sees their baby begin to walk, like they're not frustrated when the kid falls. They're not like, you should be walking by now. Why aren't you running? Right? Because they have an understanding that there's a certain expectation we can have for how quickly someone will walk, how quickly someone will run, how quickly someone will be able to jump and play and do other things. And so if God is a good father, right, when he sees us, 
he, he's like, hey, I'm not frustrated when you fall because I have the proper perspective of where you should be. And so a lot of times if, if you're on chapter 24 of your faith journey, you can find yourself right, being frustrated at someone's chapter seven, right? It's like, realize like, hey, God sees them differently than you see them. So, so let's do our best to see them as God sees them, right? Let's do our best to see others as God sees them. And when we do that, it enables us to, to treat them with so much more patience. And then he says this, be constant in prayer. There's a saying that goes something, something like this, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. Look, the truth is, is, is we don't know all the details of someone's life, especially those who we find it hard to love. And so when you think about being constant in prayer, remember, spend more energy praying for that person than being frustrated at that person because we have no idea what battle they're fighting. We have no idea what details of their life we're unaware of. And, and so let's try to make more time to when their face or their name comes to mind to, to find ourselves praying for them than finding ourselves boiling or frustrated with them. So be constant in prayer. All right, so, so the fourth thing, love is fully committed. Love is putting others first. Love is patient. In Q journey, love is more than a feeling. All right? Love is more than a feeling. It's also action. Look at verses 13 through 16. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Right? And so in verse 15, we see that feelings are 100% involved. Right? The, this empathy, this doing the hard work of trying to enter someone's circumstances, to enter their life in such a way that you can, can feel what they're feeling. But verse 13 shows us that it's more than just feeling something towards a person. It's, it's taking action. And so he's talking about physical needs there. He's talking about housing, food, and clothing. And so I think about uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus, in chapter 6, he talks about how he says, when you give, right? When you give to the needy. Not if you give, but when. There's this expectation. This is just a, a rhythm of the Christian life to give. To others. And so it says, when you give. And then at the end of chapter six, he talks about, don't be anxious. You know, the things that cause anxiety is, is one, it's like basic needs, right? He's like, like, look at the birds of the air. It's like, your, your father feeds them and gives them housing and, and like, they're not freaking out. He's like, you're more valuable than them. Like God's going to take care of you. And he says, look at the, the lilies of the field. He's like, you know, for those who are worried about what they'll wear, he goes, God clothes the grass of the field. Like how much more valuable are you? He's going to make sure you have clothing. So this point is like, it's like, hey, you don't have to be anxious because God's going to provide for your basic needs. Now you hear that and we have to realize that, okay, there are Christians all across the globe in impoverished countries and, and even right here who don't have those basic needs being met. So is Jesus lying? Was he off? No, the expectation with the, the whole chapter is that those when you give, those who have the ability to meet needs should be actively stepping into situations where needs need to be met. And so that we should be 
the solution to, to see that stuff lived out. And so how do we do that now? I mean, think about there's a global pandemic right now and a lot of people are, are stuck in their homes. So how do we live this out today? You know, I, just two things that I think are, and I, I'd love for people to, to be creative in this and to continue to build this out, but two things. One, Stephen, our community life pastor, he put together these little cards that you can print out. We send them out to all of our small groups and, and you can get one if you want one. But basically, it's just a card that you can print out and put on your neighbor's door. And it says, are you um, self-isolating? I can help. I'm your neighbor. You fill in your name. My address is, fill in your address. My number is blank. And it says like, hey, here's how I can help. I, I can get groceries for you. Um, I can give you a call for a friendly conversation or to pray for you. Um, I can run errands or something else. And if there's a way that I can help, I'll do everything I can or, or everything I can to, to help you. And, and so for free, right? And so some people are printing those off and saying like, hey, my neighbor is 86 years old. I want to make sure that he knows that I'm here for him. And so you could, you could take action just to be a good neighbor. Or another thing I've seen, I've seen more than a handful of people um, post about how they plan to spend their stimulus check. They're saying, hey, if, if I get a stimulus check, I know that I, I'm okay. That'd be, that'd be icing on the cake. It'd be great to have, but here's some ways that I can creatively use it. People are saying, hey, I'll, I want to use a portion of that for benevolence. Um, I want to um, I want to send my check to to a reputable, trustworthy organization like Samaritan's Purse. Or I've seen people giving to United Way. And people are thinking like, hey, here are ways that we can give what we're going to get to make sure that others' needs are being met. So there's just two things and keep keep building it out. Think through ways that you can make sure that people's needs are being met, how you can put love into action, where you can take it beyond just being a feeling. All right, now, verses 17 through 21, there's a there's a bit of a transition here. And, and the transition could have started in verse 14, but either way, like we know it's definitely here. And so now I was gonna say like, all right, so if that's how we love those who are inside the Christian community, those who are inside the body of Christ, how do we love those who are outside of our spiritual family? Uh, especially those who push back against the way that we we follow Jesus, right? Like, how do you how do you love those who are almost hostile towards your Christian faith? Look at verses seventeen and eighteen. He says, "Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all." Now, verse seventeen can be kind of confusing. It's like give thought to do, that's an action, to do what is honorable in the sight of all, right? So is he saying that the way that we act as Christians, um, do, do non-Christians get to determine what we can and can't do? Like, should we think through like, what, how's this going to be received? Is it going to be received well? And if it's received well, we'll do it. Or if people want us to act a certain way, does that mean we have to act a certain way? And like, well, no, that, that would actually be contradictory to verse 9, that talks about how God already has a standard for what's good and evil. So notice that in verse 18, he says, if possible. That means that our doing, all right, doing things that society sees favorably, um, it has limitations. There are limitations. We can do things, or we can't do things, sorry. We can't do things that are outside of what God defines as good and evil. And we, that means we can't do things that God, outside of what God defines as good and evil, even if it means that it might cause some disharmony or disunity with those that we're around. Look, look this is so important, but 
we can't seek approval of the world at the expense of God's moral demands, right? So yeah, like we want to do things that the world looks favorably, favorably upon, but that doesn't mean that we do things that go against God's will. We don't do things that God looks at and says like, that is evil. You know, like we want to do good things, all right? And now, um, let's, let's jump down to 19 and 20. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Right, what he's saying here is, is if we trust God's goodness and justice, then instead of seeking vengeance, we can seek to forgive, to love, and to show kindness. Sit on that for a second. To, to not to try to get even, but to decide like, you know, I, I want to forgive. I want to love. I, I want to show kindness even to my enemies. Is there someone in your life in light of this verse that God's calling you to be for instead of against? Is there someone that God's calling you to stop being against and to start being for? Look, as a pastor, this doesn't come naturally or easy to me. It's not like, well, Jeff can do it. He gets to preach God's word. It's like, this is really hard, right? And so like, I don't look at someone who wrongs me and go like, I just want to love on them. Let's just show them good and kindness, right? And this is where I have to lean in to Galatians um, 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when you sit there and go like, I can't be for that person. It's like, you can't, but Christ in you can, right? Like it's not what we could do. It's what Christ in us can do. And so this is why um, the Lord's Prayer, when we say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, just a modernization of that, a way, a way to pray that in a way that kind of maybe makes more sense to, to the 21st century is I pray this, God, give me a short memory of how people have wronged me by giving me a long memory of how you've forgiven me when I've wronged you. Right? It's like, give me a short memory of the people that have offended me. And, and the way that that memory becomes short is by giving me a long memory of all the things I've done to you and all the things you've forgiven me of. And so when we begin to, to see how God's forgiven us, it, it shapes us to be able to forgive others. That doesn't mean we forgive and forget. Sometimes you can't forget what someone's done to you. Right? That doesn't mean that we now extend trust to people who don't deserve, deserve to be trusted Right? It means that we trust God to handle the justice aspect of this. Right? We trust God and, and we even actively think through ways that like, hey, how can I now do things that are for this person? All right? Not to go against them, to get even with them, but even to do things that are, that are for them. All right? look, look at verse 21. He, he wraps up this section by saying, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That word overcome is a military word that means to overpower. And what he's saying is, is when we respond, all right, 
um, to someone's meanness, like persecution, whatever it is. Like when people like push against us and wrong us, when we respond by wronging them back, he says evil has won the battle. Evil has has won the day, right? And, and so instead of repaying evil for evil, he says that we should overcome, we should win the battle, overcome evil by doing good. Right? This is, this is like, here's an illustration. Think about evil as being an infectious disease, right? This is kind of where we're at in the world right now. A lot of us are becoming more, more versed in this stuff, right? But if evil is an infectious disease, right? When we repay evil with evil, it's almost like we are those who are refusing to self-quarantine. It's like we're the ones who are out just coughing over stuff, like hacking up a lung. We're not washing our hands after we use the bathroom. Um, instead of social distancing, we're huddling up with people and high-fiving and shaking hands. It's like what we're doing is we are contributing to the spread of the disease, right? And so when we repay evil for evil, we are contributing to see evil push forward in the world and continue, right? But when we choose not to respond in evil, but to respond in the power of the gospel by showing the mercy and grace of Christ that's been given to us, to others, two things happen. One, our inaction, right? Like our inaction of showing vengeance. Like when we, when we don't take action in that, it's like, it's like we're quarantining. That inaction, right? It, it does what's necessary to, to, to stop the curve. Instead of it coming up, right, like we plateau it, right? So that inaction takes part into just stop stopping this thing, right? So the inaction stops it, but the action of doing good, it's like the medication. It's like we're providing medication that makes healing possible. And so what he what he's saying here, especially that kind of like that heaping coals on their head, that's not like to like I'm gonna kill you with kindness. It's like no no there there's something about the way that we act that should be attractive, and our hope is that the light of Christ in us would attract them to to turn from sin and to turn towards Christ, right? So what's the what's the main thing from today's passage? The main thing is this. The gospel calls us to love those inside and outside the body of Christ. And, and not just to love them in a vague way, but specifically to love in a way that we're committed, to love in a way that we're patient, to love in a way that, that we put others first, to love in a way that we're not just having feelings, but we're also taking action. Right? And the reason why that's important is because God uses this love as an attractive force to draw people to himself. Right? Let, let's face it, it's tough. Like that's, It's not an easy thing to do. And that's why we have to constantly look to the gospel. Because here's what the gospel shows us. God's love for us isn't based on our worth or our attractiveness. It's based on Christ who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death that we deserved and rose victoriously from the grave. And because of Christ, we don't get what we deserve 
and we do get what we could never earn. And it's our being joined to Christ that makes us so wonderfully loved by God. And we want to remember that today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it as a, as a symbol to remember his broken body. And then he, he took a cup of wine to, to talk about how his blood was going to be spilt, be spilt to, to create a new covenant. And, and when we take this bread and we drink this, this juice or this, this wine, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. We're remembering his perfect life. We're remembering his sacrificial death and we're remembering his victorious resurrection. But today I want us to boldly proclaim as we take this bread and, and this, this cup, to boldly proclaim that it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me because Christ has guaranteed, he has promised to be with us until the end of the age. And so as we find it hard to love, remember that you can't but Christ in you can. So let me pray for us. And after I pray for us, I would encourage you to, to take some bread and to remember Jesus's body and take some juice or some wine and to remember his blood and to, to as you take this and, and experience the realness of what's in your hand, remember that Christ in you is just as real this week. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the love that you've extended to me when I by no means deserved it. God, I'm hard to love. I'm not worthy to be loved. But God, you love me anyways. God, because of Christ, I'm forever yours. God, you, you're committed to me. You put me first at the cross. God, you constantly show patience, and your love is forever put into action. So God, let me know that love through knowing the cross in such a way that it changes the way that I love others, both those in, in my community, I'm at Redeemer, but also those outside. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go take communion with my family, um, and I hope that you'll do the same as we remember Jesus. And I can't wait to take it with you guys together again. Hey, have an awesome week. I hope you'll join us next week for Easter. Who knows what it's going to look like um, as far as location goes, but it's going to be great. I hope you'll tell your friends, invite your families, tell your neighbors. I promise you we're going to do the best we can with what we've got. And I have high hopes that God's going to do an incredible work. So I hope to see you right here next week. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.